Last week, we started a series that we're going to be talking through this fall on the Holy Spirit. Looked in Ezekiel chapter 36, and we talked about how the Holy Spirit is the, a gift from God. He is the gift from God to bankrupt people spiritually, not to people who, everyth- who have everything figured out. We talked about how the Holy Spirit is given to us because of the spilled blood of Jesus Christ. We talked about how the Holy Spirit is given to us for God's glory. And this morning, what I want us to do is we're going to dig deeper into Ezekiel chapter 36. Two weeks ago, Dave and I were looking at this passage, and we realized that there was no way that we could teach it all in one week, and so we decided to spread it out over two. Last week, we looked at this big picture of, of who the Holy Spirit is, who he's given to this morning. We're going to start to begin the conversation of what he does in our lives. I love Ezekiel chapter 36 because God says, the Holy Spirit is given to you so that you can live a life that brings much glory to God. Ezekiel chapter 36 is this resounding message that God gives the Holy Spirit to broken and sinful and confused and backsliding people like Brandon and like Mark and like Aaron and like every single one of us here so that we can know God. But he says in order for you to be a type of person that doesn't just endure this life, in order for you to be a person that doesn't just coast through 60 or 70 or 80 years of life, being a nice person and working a, a 40-hour work week, in order for you to be a person that can make much of God in your life, that God doesn't just tolerate, but that he looks at and he says, man, they bring me much glory. They bring me much happiness. When people look at them, they see me. We can live this life. And God says, in order for you to become this type of person, some things have to happen. Ezekiel chapter 36 He gives us three different pictures of what God does for us. First picture is that God removes. The second picture is that God replaces. And the third picture is that God redirects. God removes, that God replaces, and that God redirects. And so let's look at Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 25, where God is speaking. And he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. But before I do that, I will remove from you your heart of stone. I love that. God says in order for us to be the type of people that can make much of him on this earth, there has to be removal. And what I love so much about God is that he doesn't, uh, he doesn't beat around the bush. He just goes right for it. He looks at people like me and you, and he says, the core of what's going on is there's a heart issue. You know, so often we are quick to blame our sin. We are quick to blame our tendency to keep falling back into to sinful patterns on our friends, Right? Oh, my friends pull me down. We're quick to blame it on our spouse. Oh, the reason that I don't hunger for God is because my spouse is, is lazy and they pull me down and they're always bitter. The reason that, that, that I'm the way that I am, the reason that I, that I don't know God is because of the way my parents raised me. 
The reason I keep falling back into sin is because that's what I saw my dad doing. And we just have this tendency to blame our sin on everyone but ourselves. And it's so beautiful because God, in such a loving and humbly way, just looks at us and he says, no, the, the problem is not someone else. The problem is what's going on in here. But I love it because God doesn't, he's never been in the business of treating the symptoms. He's always been in the business of going right to the source. Last year, Courtney and I were, it's like a Saturday morning, we woke up, we were looking over our credit card bill, and we noticed that there were all these fraudulent charges on our, on our credit card. And I'm like, $300 to Southwest Airlines, $270 to American Airlines, $250 to American Eagle, $500 to Southwest Airlines. And there was like this random $200 Victoria's Secret uh, charge. And I thought, man, whoever stole our credit card, they're having a really good time. And it's not us, but they are on the beach somewhere. And I know where they've been shopping, so I know what they're doing. And, and I, called the, I called the credit card company, and I said, hey, someone you know, got a hold of our credit card company. And what's so cool is that they took care of the charges, but they also took care of the problem. You know, it would have been terrible if we would have called them and we would have said, hey, someone stole our credit card and they just canceled or they, they, they credited us back with all the money, but they didn't cancel our credit card. Someone would be still running free with, with our credit card. And I love it because God doesn't deal with our symptoms first. He goes to the source. He says, the problem is that you've got a bad heart. And it's not someone else's problem. It's my problem. It's your problem. God sits us down and he says, and you need to know that it's, it's worse than you thought. About a year ago, one of my good friends from the church that I grew up in back in Murray, Kentucky, just noticing that he wasn't feeling like himself. So we started doing all the things to, to try to figure out what's going on, started eating healthy and exercising drinking less coffee, all the things, sleeping a little bit more, and he realized that nothing was helping. So he went to the doctor, and they ran all these tests, and they did every kind of scan that you can do, and he went home and didn't think much about it, and a couple of days later, the doctor called and basically said, you need to be sitting down. He said, because I've got some terrible news for you. He said, it's way worse than you thought. He said, you, you don't have some cold, and it's not just some virus. He says, you have ALS. He said, I'm so sorry to be telling you. Think about when my friend heard that, like just the weight of that moment where he realized the, the magnitude of what had been surfaced. God looks at us and he says, man, your, your heart is bad and it's worse than you think. He says, but it's not just that. He said, it's not that your heart's just bad. He says, you need to know that, that this is not something that you can fix by yourself. You know, so often, like, we are aware of our brokenness, right? We're aware of, of our tendency to keep falling back into sinful patterns and habits. And so what we try to do is to treat the symptoms, right? So we go and get the latest self-help book. We start watching the Oprah Winfrey Network, whatever it is that we do to, to try to, to, to fix us, to treat the symptoms, we fill our lives with busyness and relationships, and we just keep telling ourselves, if I just ignore it, it'll go away. But here's the problem. It never goes away. God says, I want you to understand the magnitude of the problem so that you can see the magnitude of my promise. 
want you to understand that the magnitude of the problem so you can understand the magnitude of my promise. He says, here's what's going on, okay? He says, when I see your heart, it's not that it's just bad and it's not that it's just ugly. He says, your heart is, is dead. It's like a rock. He says, when I, when I look at your life, you don't trust in me. You don't listen to me. You don't follow me. You don't know me. You don't recognize my voice. And God sits down like this amazing physician and he pinpoints what's going on in our lives. But he doesn't just give us the diagnosis. He says, this is who you are. But I want you to know that the reason that I'm here is to remove your hard heart. Is to remove your heart of stone. That I'm putting myself in your presence. I'm putting myself before you. I keep showing up in your doorstep and in your mind and in your heart. And the reason you keep coming to church is because I'm trying to bring you to this place to help you see that I'm in the business of removing sinful and broken and unresponsive hearts. If you're not a Christian, I want you to know this. That this is where every single one of us who follow Jesus, this is where we all started. That there was this moment, there was this time, there was this season in our life where, where God came in and he started to remove the things in us that keep us from trusting in Jesus, that keep us from knowing Jesus, that keep us from seeing Jesus and loving Jesus and following Jesus, that God came into our lives in all of our brokenness. And he removed everything that is in us that was adverse to God. Right, for those of us who are Christians, isn't it true that, that this isn't just a one-time word that happened when we became Christians? That it wasn't like God that, that when we became Christians that, that all of a sudden we never had any more temptations and we never had any more sinful moments or backsliding, right? The, the reality is that, that something significant happened when, when we, God saved us. But as we keep walking with God, God is in the business of removing the things in us that keep us from having intimacy with God, right? That none of us are perfect. That we're all in, in progress. That we're all works of progress that, that none of us have arrived. And the thing about our God, because he loves us, he will keep bringing to the surface the things in us that are dead. He will keep pinpointing the things in us that are killing us. He'll keep confronting us with the places in our lives where we are missing it. And sometimes it's going to be really painful. It's going to feel like God is against us. It's going to feel like God hates us, but God always shines his light into our hearts for our good. This past weekend, God was just exposing. I've been following Jesus for, man, a, a long time now. 18 years. And this weekend, God was exposing in my heart, Brandon, you are not trusting me. You're not trusting me with your finances. 
You're worrying and you're stressing and you're being anxious. And Brandon, you're taking your eyes off of me. Let me take that from you. And whenever God shows up and he shines light, man, sometimes it feels like God is condemning us. And we kick ourselves because we are aware that we haven't arrived. We are, we are aware that we are not perfect. And God, every time he exposes the brokenness, the places that we are missing it, it's always to move us closer to him. God, in all of his goodness, he looks at us and he removes our hard hearts the source of the unbelief, the source of the rebellion, the source of hard-heartedness and unresponsiveness to God. But it's not that God just removes, he replaces. So look at verse 26. It says, I will give you a new heart. And I'll put a new, I'll put a fresh spirit in you. I'll remove your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. In verse 27. And I will put my spirit in you. My buddy, Jeremy, who comes to the, the five o'clock service here at Ethos, we were having coffee the other day, and he was telling me about this home that he just recently moved into. It's over in Germantown, and he was telling me about he got to know the history of the home before him. And so he, he found out that there was a, a widow that lived in the house before he did, and she passed away, and she passed the son on uh, down to her son. It's kind of a sad story. The son was bad into drugs, and so the house um, turned into this crack house, and the police and the government found out about it, and they actually um, they came in and they condemned the home, sent this guy to prison. The house sat vacant for a really long time. This builder was driving through the neighborhood one day, and he saw the potential not just in the home but in the neighborhood. So he bought the house, and he's walking through the home, and he started to realize that, that everything about this house needed to be taken down, that the sheetrock wasn't salvageable, the oven and the refrigerator, they weren't salvageable, the floors weren't salvageable. So he came in with a bulldozer and literally knocked the entire house down. My buddy Jeremy was telling me, he said that the only thing that um, remained when this guy rebuilt the house was the foundation. So he made this beautiful house and he, he put brand new floors and brand new appliances and brand new walls and brand new fans and brand new lights. And it was this gorgeous, this beautiful house. And he was telling me about how the builder, when he came in, he saw that there was only one thing that could be reused as a foundation. I was thinking about this amazing image that God gives us in Ezekiel chapter 36. And if you go back and read verses 22 and 23, it's this great truth that God is set on using broken people like you and me to declare his glory in this world. That God isn't looking for perfect people who have it figured out. He's looking for confused and sinful and hurting people who know they don't have it together. And God is so incredibly set on using us that he looks at us and he says, man, they are the foundation. He says, I, I can take away everything that is in them, that is, that is decaying, everything that is in them that is broken and sinful, but I'm set on using them and I will, I will replace it. I will rebuild something that is beautiful. And I love what he tells us in Ezekiel chapter 36. It's not that he just removes our hard heart, it's that he replaces it with himself. 
God gives us himself. That the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus Christ lives in us. Those of you who are Christians, I want you to think about that for a minute. We don't believe this. We're not told this enough. We don't think about this great truth enough that the same spirit in Romans chapter 8 that was in Jesus Christ is the same exact Holy Spirit that's inside of us. It's not some lesser spirit. It's not some lesser power. It's not some lesser person. The third person of the Trinity, the almighty, the holy, the infinite, the invisible God dwells inside of us. I love the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These four men that lived during the days of Jesus that were eyewitnesses to his life, to his death, to his resurrection. They sat down, and you should read this sometime, the first four books in the New Testament. And they tell about all these stories, about all these interactions that Jesus had with people, all the sick people that were healed, and all the sermons that he preached. And I love it because you see in that this amazing story in Matthew chapter 4 where where Jesus is being tempted in three different ways. And the same spirit that was in Jesus is in us. Spirit who in Matthew chapter 4 led him to overcome every temptation he faced. The same spirit that all throughout the Gospels treated people with compassion, that same spirit is inside of us. A spirit who didn't treat people with judgment and anger and frustration, but came at them with empathy and compassion. The same spirit that forgave people who wounded Jesus deeply. I love Luke chapter 23 where Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross. People are mocking him and spitting on him and making fun of him. And he looks up to heaven. He says, Father, forgive them. The same spirit is inside of us. The same spirit that led Jesus to live out God's will above his own will. I love the story in Matthew chapter 26 where Jesus is on his face the night before he's going to be crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying to God. He says, Father, if there's any other way that you can save this world, if there's any other way for broken and sinful people to be able to know you, to be saved, to enjoy you forever in heaven, if there's any other way that I don't have to die in order for this to happen, let it be done, God. But if not, I'll drink this cup. May your will be done. If the only way that sinful people can find their way back to you is if I die and pay for their sins, I'll do it. The same spirit that was inside of Jesus that led him to be submissive to the will of God above what he wanted is inside of us. When we look at our lives, when I look at my life, isn't it true that, I mean, it is so hard to imagine living a life where you don't give in temptation? That maybe you've gone two or three days, or maybe you've gone four or five weeks, or maybe you've gone seven or eight months, and you haven't given in the temptation, and then you have that moment where you fall on your face, and it seems like every time that you're tempted, you have a moment where you fail. You look at your life, and you realize, man, you're just not a very compassionate person. That you see someone who is hungry, you don't care about them that you see someone who's going through a really difficult time in life and you realize that you're just not very thoughtful or empathetic. 
Or we look at our lives and we realize that we've tried over and over and over again to, to forgive our spouse and what they did for and what they did to us. We look at our lives and we realize that we've tried and tried to forgive our kids for what they did. We tried to forgive our friends and our bosses and our coworkers and our neighbors. And we just can't seem to forgive them. We look at our lives and we can't imagine living a life that pleases God. Because every time we are given the choice, it seems like we choose what we want over what God wants. And what I love is that God knows this And he understands that what you and I need in order to live a life that pleases God is more of God. That God understands that in order for us to live a life that pleases God, what we need is not more effort and more strength and more self-willpower pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. That in order for us to live a life that brings glory to God, what we need more of is God and God so graciously gives us himself because he knows that's what we need. The other day I called home, I FaceTime with my wife, it's about nap time, I have two little kids, and I called court, and as soon as, like, picked her, um, as soon as she answered, as soon as I saw her face, uh, she was holding our little son, and he was just crying, because that's what babies do when they're hungry, and I look in the background, and my little girl, Finley, is in the background, and she's just running around like a little crazy woman with her diaper off, and she's just, like, she's peeing in the floor, and I'm just going, good night, like... And you can just look at my wife, and she's just, just this amazing, strong woman. And I go, man, I would just, I, I don't know what I'd be doing if I was in her shoes. But I just had this moment, though, where I go, man, if, if I was only there, I could help. If I was only there, I could help her. And I love the, the truth of the Holy Spirit is that God looks at us, and he sees, like, he sees us, like, struggling and falling, and crying, and searching, and God says, I'm giving you myself. I'm with you. You see, God removes our broken and unresponsive hearts to him that keeps us from from seeing him and knowing him, and then he replaces that void in our life with the Holy Spirit, with the presence, and the power, and the person of God, but that's not just it. It's not that, that God just wants to be roommates. He redirects our lives. He removes, he replaces, and he redirects us. I love verse 27. It says, I will put my spirit in you, and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can live lives that bring glory to God, that please him that make much of him. And he says, the the way that you do this, he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to lead you. He's going to move you to follow my statutes. This idea of a statue or decree is this idea of an authoritative rule. And what he is saying is that I'm going to teach you how to live under the authority of King Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 says that all things, every person was made through Jesus and for Jesus. And yet we look at our lives so many times and we go, man, we don't live for Jesus. God says, exactly. That's why I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to teach you how to arrange your life 
to live under Jesus as Lord. He says, I'm going to move you to keep my laws. This idea of a law is in a determination of what is right and what is wrong on legal matters. God says, my presence, my power, my person dwelling inside of you is going to move you to live in such a way as so that in every decision, in every thought, in every word, in every direction that you go, you will live in a way that brings glory and honor and praise to God because you will live in a right way. I was thinking about how there's nothing more disappointing as a follower of Jesus, as someone who loves God. There's nothing more disappointing than wanting to please God and not being able to. And God looks at us and he says, I am with you to help you. The Holy Spirit, he comes to us as the expert. He is the one who has been through this life, through the person of Jesus, who has conquered this life, who looked sin and darkness and death in the face and overcame every single one of them. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us to help conquer sin in darkness, in death, so we can live lives that bring glory to God. Growing up, my favorite sport was, was baseball. And my position that I loved to play was pitcher. I loved to be on the mound. I loved to, to have the game in my hands. There was this guy who lived about 45 minutes down the road from where I was from. And we heard about him. He was a guy who kind of climbed the, the ranks in baseball. He made it to AAA, and then something happened, and he wasn't able to keep going. And, but I, I learned that this guy was, uh, he gave pitching lessons. And so every Monday night, my dad and my brother and I would get in his truck, and we would drive to this little city, and we would drive to this little gym. And, and I remember he would teach us. He said, OK, where you are, he said, the only pitch that people in third grade know right now is a fastball. He said, right? He said, your, your whole goal is to wind up and to throw the ball as hard as you can and just to put it over the plate, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what I do every time. He said, I want to teach you a different pitch. He says, I want to give to you something that, that other people don't have. I want to give to you something that's going to work to your advantage. He says, I'm going to teach you how to throw a breaking ball. He says, the beautiful thing about a breaking ball is you're going to be an old man and your elbow's not going to hurt. He says, you're going to be healthy. He says, but the most beautiful thing about a breaking ball is when you throw it, it looks like a fastball. And then when it gets to the plate, the bottom just falls out of it. He says, so it gets to the plates and the batters think they're just going to just knock a home run. And then all of a sudden it just literally drops and the batters just look foolish as they chase that ball down. And as I was talking to this guy who was teaching me this pitch, he had credibility because of what he had done, right? Because I was only in third grade. I knew how to do one pitch. And he's this guy that made a career by playing baseball. He had credibility but what, because of what he had done, but he also had credibility because of what he said. I remember I started to throw this pitch in Little League. And he was right. I mean, you just make people look foolish when you throw that pitch. And and it was so fun making people look silly and striking them out. And every time that someone would strike out when I would throw that breaking ball, I always remembered that the reason that I had this pitch, the reason that I had this gift was because someone else had given it to me. One of the things that we're going to see as we get to know the Holy Spirit and the way that he works and moves and leads and speaks in our lives he has credibility because of what he accomplished in Jesus, but we're going to understand that he's increasing credibility because of the things that he does in our lives. 
the Holy Spirit inside of us will create a deep hunger for God. That this is just what happens, that, that when we become Christians and when God graciously gives us the Holy Spirit, we start to want, to, we start to want God. It's when we find ourselves praying. It's when we find ourselves reading. It's how we have this desire before we go to bed to, to not just watch TV until we fall asleep, but maybe we should like set aside the time to, to know it's hard. That we have this desire to, to be holy. That we're no longer content just, just stumbling and falling and coasting through this life, but because the Holy Spirit is inside of us, he creates a desire in us for us to know God and to walk with God in a way that pleases him. But it's not just it, that the Holy Spirit stirs our hearts for each other. That the Holy Spirit gives us this, this deep love for each other. That we'll find ourselves like caring about each other that we'll find ourselves radically giving of ourselves for the good of other people, that we'll give our money and we'll give our time to bless other people in this room. And when that happens, it is not because you are so good. It's because God has given you the breaking ball. He's given you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will, will give us unity and love for each other. I was thinking about just this past week. I had said something about a guy in our church behind his back. Just kind of said some hurtful things about him. God was convicting me. God was stirring my heart. For several weeks, I, I just sat on the conviction, didn't do anything with it. And Wednesday, I finally just sensed God saying, okay. So I called this guy up, and, and I said, hey, man, I want you to know that I said some like, just hurtful things about you behind your back, and I didn't mean them, and I want you to know how sorry I am. And he just said to me, man, I forgive you. It was just this, this amazing moment where where God was going, Brandon, as the body of Christ, you're not meant to slander and gossip. You're meant to, to build one another up. And when you're not with people, to not gossip about them behind their backs, but to encourage them and talk about the good things going on in their lives. And when you miss it, I'm going to convict you because you're made for more. It's not that God just creates a, a, a deep hunger uh, for, for him and for other people. It's that God gives us a deep hunger for, to, for people that don't know God. If you haven't had this moment yet, you will. You'll be driving home from work. You'll be sitting in worship. You'll be sitting at your desk, at your cubicle. You'll be taking an anatomy and physiology final. And your heart will break for someone who doesn't know God. That if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you will have a time where you realize 
what happens to someone when they don't know Jesus. And this is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That he makes us more like Jesus. That he stirs our hearts for God and for the body of Christ and for broken people that don't yet know him. And that we find ourselves moving closer and closer and closer. It's becoming more like Jesus. We haven't arrived, but we're arriving. I'll share just kind of three quick little pictures when we're done for this morning. My grandfather on my dad's side, when he was in his 50s, he noticed that he had this spot on the bottom of his foot, and he would look at it every day, and it started to grow and started to get bigger, but he didn't do anything about it. And after several months of, of this spot growing, it started to like bleed. And so he would come in from working, and his sock would, would be red, and this would kind of went on for several days. And so he finally like went to the doctor. And the doctor looked at him and just basically said, you have skin cancer. And my grandfather said, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know it was this bad. It was really sad because my grandfather passed away when I was three years old, never really got to know him. Skin cancer took him. Thinking about my other grandfather and my family just had all these instances of skin cancer. He had this, he was at the doctor and he had this spot on his arm and the doctor said, hey, we need to, to take a look at that. We'll schedule an appointment. You can come in and, and we'll figure out what's going on there. And so my granddad, he's just this good old redneck from West Tennessee. And so he went home and did what most of you would do. And he took his pocket knife and he cut that spot out. And we came over and we're like, what are you doing? He's like proud of it. We're like, it's going to get infected. And my granddad ended up dying, not of the infection, but he died. And, and He's this great man, guy. He's one of my favorite people that ever lived, and so I have nothing but good memories. Can't wait to see him again in heaven. Think about my sister. She knew that skin cancer, that all these kind of things ran in our family, and so she had this spot that came up on her arm, on her arm and as soon as she recognized it, she went to the doctor, and the doctor cut it off and called her back a few days later and said, yeah, man, that was actually cancer, but we got it soon enough before it metastasized. And I tell you those three stories because I really want to land the plane here. I have no idea where you are with God. I know that there are some of you, and you're like my granddaddy John, who passed away from skin cancer, and God has been stirring your heart. He's been showing you over and over again that there's something deeper going on inside of you, that you're not just empty and that you're not just broken, you're not just a bad person, that, that God is wanting to live in your life. And I know you're fearful. I know you're fearful of coming to God. I know you're fearful of, of opening up and, and walking with God because of all the things that it's going to mean. But I'm here to tell you, John 3, 16 is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. I love this because he says God so loved the world. It wasn't that he loved people who had it all figured out. It's not that he loved church people who read and pray. He loved the world, the broken and confused and sinful and backsliding world. That's who God sent Christ for. John three seventeen. for God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Jesus. 
And God is inviting you to see that, that, that what's going on in your life, he can remove and he can replace and he can make you into something glorious, but you have to make the decision. Will you receive it? Will you receive it? Some of you are like my grandfather who just like tried to fix it himself and you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. But yet you keep trying to manage this and do it on your own and God is saying, man, let go. Let me in. That addiction, that struggle, that doubt, let me in. Let me in. Some of you, you're like my sister. You've let God deal with the, the brokenness in you. God has given you his Holy Spirit, and you're following him. You're loving him. You're enjoying him. You're making much of him. You're encouraging the people around you that don't know him. My encouragement to you is to keep walking. It's always been God's desire to use broken people like us to make much of himself. My question for us is, will we receive it? Will we step in? Let's pray.